How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Hello there, everyone. We're locked in for episode 21 of Locked on Thunder, presented by the Norman Transcript. I'm your host, Fred Katz. Locked on Thunder is part of the Locked on Podcast Network. You can head on to iTunes and search Locked on Thunder to subscribe to the podcast there. You can also find any of our other sister or cousin or whatever you want to call them podcasts within the Locked on Podcast Network. If you're a Heat fan, just look up Locked on Heat. If you're a Jazz fan, look up Locked on Jazz and so on and so forth. The goal, which we're rapidly approaching, 30 teams, 30 podcasts, and I think we're going to get there pretty quickly. We've got 20-something going right now. Right now, I'm on every day, every weekday, I should say, Monday through Friday, though that schedule is going to be subject to change a little bit moving forward. I'm going to get to that a little bit later in the show. Just to, as a little programming note before we head out, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on audioboom.com, and, and I'll be on your phone, you know, or however you listen to podcasts, whenever you need me. But for now, for the actual show, let's talk some USA basketball. There's no real Thunder news right now, so we might as well get to the Olympics. Team USA just demolished Argentina in its exhibition opener Friday night. Now I'm recording this just kind of minutes before the team tips off against China. I think it's safe to say by the time you listen to this one, they'll be 2-0 in the exhibition season. I'm pretty sure that's not a bold statement. So Team USA is killing everyone. Team USA is going to kill just about everyone it plays in, in basketball, of course, that is. Spain obviously has talent. France has talent. There are other teams that have talent. There are other teams that have NBA players, of course. But it's always Team USA, then everyone else when it comes to Olympic basketball. We know this. It's the same every year. Aside from that disaster in 2004, it's the same thing every single time since the Dream Team took the floor in 1992. Who earns the gold in Olympic basketball? It means basically a predetermined outcome, right? We know this. That's the way the sport is. It's just, it is what it is, you know? I'm, and I, I don't have a problem with that. It's still fun. I still enjoy watching it. And I'm a huge Olympics fan in general, honestly. Maybe that's part of it. I love inter-country competition. I randomly get into the sports I would never watch otherwise, too. I mean, you have no idea how excited I was for water, water polo, actually, in 2012. And I'm, I'm, like, weirdly excited for it now. I can't tell you the first thing about water polo. I can't name you one guy on the Olympic water polo team. But Olympic water polo is so fun. Seriously, watch Olympic water polo. It's so competitive. It's outrageously physical. They're the most ridiculous athletes. I didn't even realize this in 2012 when I just started addictively watching every single Olympic water polo game. It is amazingly fun. I could not tell you the first thing about it strategically or whatever it is, but it's an amazingly simple sport to understand. And it is so much fun. And the athleticism behind it, the physicality behind the sport is just ridiculous. It is ridiculously fun sport to watch. Anyway, tangent, let's get back. USA basketball, they kill everybody. But what I find most interesting about it, and maybe because I'm a little bit of a journalism nerd, and I think it's a little bit interesting to get journalism-y, journalism-y, journalistic, journalism-y. How, how journalism-y is it to say the word journalism-y? It's interesting to get a little journalistic on the show every once in a while, I think. And what I kind of find interesting is the coverage behind USA Basketball. And in a time without much Thunder news, hat tip to Dion Waiters, 
I think this is an interesting discussion. I'm wondering why it is that the same analysts, the same journalists, the same commentators, the ones who are so professional while covering every other sport, the ones who don't show rooting interests, why even for them, it's open season to refer to the USA as we when they talk about the Olympics, or to essentially root for the team on air or in columns or whatever it is, in the studio, on television, I mean, whatever their medium is, essentially rooting for the team in that aspect. Look, I, I don't really have a problem with that, in a sense. And I can't speak to if it's purely an American thing or if it goes on in other countries. I'm not in other countries really following, you know, what, what coverage of the Olympics is like in Australia or what it's like in England or what it's like in France. And, uh, you know, maybe if I have listeners from other countries, they can cue me in on this and give me their thoughts. Because what I kind of want to do is open up a discussion in this sense. I do know in some other countries, not all. But, but some other ones, objectivity in sports media isn't necessarily valued as the same as it is here. A lot of sports media in other countries, again, not, not all of them, but there are other countries out there in which sports media is kind of seen as, you know, they have to take a very pro, uh, pro uh, a viewpoint that kind of favors whatever team they're covering. And I don't really have a problem with, with unleashing the fandom when it comes to Olympics. I've never really had a problem with fans showing off that they're fans, honestly, in journalism. Um, you know, I think there are some journalists, depending on their job, I think if you're consistently on a beat, I think you have to keep it neutral. I think that's the best way to play something. Uh, but, you know, if you are if you write about something, if you cover something, I've never had a problem with, you know, Bill Simmons saying he's a Celtics fan. You know, as a, I think being transparent is more important than hiding it, or lying even, and coming off as a slanted homer. I think that's way worse. I think the people who claim to be completely non-biased and even though you can completely see their biases. And that's when I have a problem. I don't have a problem, really, with people showing off that they're a fan. But I just wonder why we journalists feel the need to hold ourselves to one professional standard when we cover the NBA, or when we cover whatever Olympic sport it is that we cover, when we're covering the actual league. And then another, when we write or talk about the Olympics, when we talk about whatever our country's team is. I figure it could be because people know when others are American, you know? You guys know I'm, I'm American. I'm from New York. I went to college in Missouri. I live in Oklahoma. I mean, people know that I'm American. So I maybe others just assume that the analyst is going to root for the American team because you're probably going to root to the country you're from. It could be because in basketball specifically, it's just a predetermined outcome, like I said before, which could lead to more of just an, ah, shucks, I'll play it differently mentality. I'm not sure, but I think it's an interesting discussion. If any of you have any thoughts on this, please hit me up. And I'd love to further this because I do think it's interesting the way it's covered. And I want to know with how the general public feels about the way that the Olympics are covered versus the way the other leagues. And if they notice it and if they have a problem with it or maybe if they prefer it, just tweet at me. I'm at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. And let's get at it. Uh, some quick Twitter questions before we go. Let's get some thunder talking here from that bald guy, Chris. Predictions for the top five scorers on the Thunders next season. First of all, Chris, there's always Rogaine, although be very wary of Propecia. I've heard scary things about Propecia. So here's my list. Russell Westbrook, Victor Oladipo, Ennis Kanner, Stephen Adams, Ersan Ilyasova. Russell Westbrook, do, do we need to give an explanation as to why Russell Westbrook isn't going to lead the team in scoring? Russell Westbrook could lead the league in usage rate this year. I, I, I don't think there's going to be any issues with Russell Westbrook playing 36 minutes a game and leading the team in scoring. Of course, this is under the assumption that Russell Westbrook is actually on the team. 
if he's traded, I mean, I don't know who's going to be coming in, and that clearly changes things. Victor Oladipo second. I think Oladipo's a real talent. I mean, he he had struggles meshing with Alfred Payton from a stylistic standpoint, and I think you could turn that on its head, too. You could say Alfred Payton had struggles meshing with Oladipo as well. Alfred Payton is a guy who really likes to dribble the ball. He's a, he's a guy who a lot of people have compared to Rajon Rondo in his style, uh, and, and those are two guys who... Oladipo and, and Peyton, who are not as great playing off the ball. I actually think Oladipo is a better off-ball player than Peyton, if only because his shooting is significantly better. I mean, Peyton is never going to be, or I shouldn't say never going to be, but Peyton as is, is not going to hold any sort of catch-and-shoot role or spacing role off the ball because he hasn't had three-point shots and doesn't really hold a, a viable role as a catch-and-shoot threat for defenses to come out and close out on him and that sort of stuff. But but Oladipo, I, I think Oladipo could be primed for a really good year. He's 24 years old. He's really skilled. He had a strong second half. He got off to a slow start last year. After they put him on the bench, um, I, he, he, I thought he started to play a little bit better. Now, the numbers uh, were a little bit erratic. They were back and forth. He had some really big games. He had some not as great games. And the numbers were on and off. But I thought he found something in the second half of this past season, which can help him carry over to this year. Now, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. I don't know how Billy Donovan is going to work his rotations. Uh, you know, I, I do think Oladipo is going to start before Kevin Durant left when I thought Durant was coming back. I thought Oladipo was going to be on the bench because there was just a lot of mouths to feed in the starting lineup, not from a scoring standpoint, from a actually holding the ball standpoint. So I figured Victor Oladipo just stylistically, not from a skill standpoint, stylistically worked better off the bench. Now, obviously, situations change and outcomes and opinions do too. Uh, Oladipo is, that's, is the starting small forward. You went in there. Thunder need offense, and Oladipo's got to start small forward. Uh, I, I, I think he can figure out a way to play next to Russell Westbrook, even though Russell Westbrook, obviously, is a guy who's going to command the ball a lot more than Alfred Payton. But like I said, I think the struggles of Payton and Oladipo playing together last year were a little bit more on Payton, and that's not necessarily a knock on Payton as a player, because I, I think he could end up being a solid enough player. It's just sometimes guys' styles don't necessarily fit. And Oladipo and Russ certainly have their overlaps on, on in terms of redundancy, in terms of, you know, poor compliments and that kind of stuff. But they're both unbelievable athletes. They can both really wear out defenses going to the rim constantly. Uh, I, think, I think Oladipo, in a role where maybe he could play some minutes next to Russ, start, still get some minutes with the bench where he can run an offense, I think that's a good role for him. Um, and, and I think that's something we could see increasingly depending on the play of Cameron Payne. If they have to limit Cameron Payne's minutes, uh, you know, if Payne is inconsistent, maybe at the start of the year or whatever it is, because right now Cameron Payne is the backup point guard. There's not really insurance if he struggles, which he was inconsistent last year. Thunder like him a lot. And he was their first round pick in 2015, but he was inconsistent last year and he was inconsistent again this year. And Victor Oladipo is going to be that backup one in all likelihood. Uh, you know, there can be other moves. But as the roster stands right now, Victor Oladipo would be the backup one. So I think Oladipo is going to get a lot of chances with the ball in his hands. If only because of that, he's going to score. I put Canner in front of Adams. I think Canner could end up getting more minutes this year. Um, you know, the Thunder are, are going to need some amount of offense. Uh, they're going to need some scoring. And Canner, you know, he's obviously got his defensive struggles. But, man, he's, he's really skilled offensively. And it's not just people talk about his offensive rebounding so much, but man, he's like, you don't hear the word graceful a lot with Ennis Canner. And it's because he doesn't look 
He looks far from that on the defensive end. But his footwork offensively really is graceful. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing to watch how different an offensive skill can be from a defensive skill because you look at Canner on defense and, and he, he goes in every which direction. And you look at him on offense and, man, he's fluid and he's smooth and he's got moves down low and he's got he, – he, I think he can shoot better than people give him credit for. Uh, I mean, he – he is a really skilled, he's got great hands, he's coordinated. I mean, he is a really skilled offensive player. He's a guy who can score for sure. And when he came in a couple of years ago, in that season when the Thunder won 45 and missed the playoffs, he put up really big numbers. Now, some of those numbers were empty numbers. But he was putting up numbers. I think he's going to put up more numbers this year than he did last year. Steven Adams, four, I just think we're going to see a bigger role for him, more growth. I think we're going to see the Thunder put the ball in his hands a little bit more. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean letting him run the offense or running the offense through him or anything along those lines, but I do think we're going to see him be on the receiving end of pick and rolls more. I do think we might see him get a couple, you know, one or two post touches more than he did last season during games, maybe more opportunities to get teammates open off of those short rolls. I really, I really think that's something that's going to happen this year because it will just make Russell Westbrook so much more, uh, so much more of a threat in the pick and roll. If Stephen Adams is someone who can create out of it as well as score out of it when he receives passes down low, if he can create out of it when he gets the ball at the free throw line, man, that would be so much better. And I do think Stephen Adams is an aware passer and a very bright player. And I think he's, I think he's an above average passer right now. Uh, but if that's something he can add to his repertoire, he doesn't have to be Blake Griffin at it. I mean, Blake Griffin does that as well as anybody in the league. He doesn't have to be Blake Griffin. But if he can just be competent in doing that kind of stuff, man, that would be a big thing for them. And I do think it's something that the Thunder are going to grow to incorporate. Now, I don't know if it's going to be right away. I, maybe I'm jumping the gun and saying that that kind of stuff is going to be seamlessly a part of the Thunder offense this year. But I do think at some point that's going to happen. I think it'll happen this year, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it doesn't happen until a little bit further down the line. Uh, but but I, I, I would not be surprised to see Steven Adams make a jump as kind of a, a more versatile pick-and-roll threat, not just a guy who sets a hard screen, rolls, and then finishes low. And because of that, that's going to open up scoring opportunities for him. Ersan Ilyasova, five. I don't know. Why not? He's he, he can shoot, so we'll get playing time. The Thunder needs shooting. Uh, you know, I, I, I think he put up 10, 10 points a game and, and be somewhere around there because that's kind of normally where he's at. Next question from Aid on Twitter. If you think OKC, or do you think OKC still makes the playoffs? I've been saying the Thunder are a playoff roster, but let's actually go through this for real. I've got the Western Conference teams called up. So let's, let's just go through who's certainly on top of them. And these aren't my official picks yet. When it comes closer to the season, I'll have a whole column going over that kind of stuff, including team over-unders, all that kind of stuff, because I, I love picking the team over-unders. And I've done a podcast, I've done a podcast, I've done a uh, column on that every year heading into the season over the last, I think, three seasons now. That's always a really fun column for me to write, and that's something I plan on doing again as we get closer to the season and Vegas releases those over-under numbers. Uh, but let's look at this. So teams in the Western Conference that are not the Thunder, Warriors, Spurs, Clippers, those are definitively better rosters in my mind. Those are the top three. Probably better, Utah and Memphis. Memphis, it really depends on health. If Memphis stays healthy, and I'm speaking in all caps when I put if in there, if Memphis stays healthy. If Memphis stays healthy, I think that's a better roster. 
But Memphis may not stay healthy. I mean, they have they have injury history all down the roster. Uh, so so I'm not I'm not positive on Memphis, but I'll say probably better. I think Utah takes a leap and wins 50 games this year. I thought they were going to be really good last year. They had major injury troubles last year too. I mean, they won 40, but Rudy Gobert missed a lot of time. Favors missed time. Alec Burks missed time. Exum missed the whole season. I mean, this is an improved roster. They made a lot of really good moves. I love the Joe Johnson signing. I love the George Hill the George Hill trade. That was a great trade. People don't realize how good George Hill is. People don't realize how much sense he makes in their defense too. This team is going to be good. That team's going to be really good. That that could that they could have home court in the first round. They're that good. And they could they could be a four seed. I think. I, I don't see why that can't be a top four team in the West. Uh, on par, I would say the Blazers and Rockets are probably about on par with the Thunder. Um, you know, Portland, Portland, I thought, I have a lot of respect for the Portland front office. I, I think that might be the most, the best front office in the league that doesn't get discussed as a top-tier front office. I, I do believe it's a top-tier front office. I think Neil Olshay is great at his job. I think they have a lot of really smart people who work in that in that organization. I think they build up a great culture. I think they have tons of great value moves. They're constantly competitive. Um just tons of trades that they make, you know, people talk about them, you know, people talk about the big names that come in and, and they've struggled to sign big names. Look, they wanted Chandler Parsons. They couldn't do it. People talk about the big names that come in, but like Neil Olshay is so good at getting those extra guys for free when somebody wants to dump someone, you know, a few years ago, New Orleans wanted to sign Tyreek Evans. So what did Neil Olshay do? He kind of swooped in and said, all right. We'll give you a second round pick to get Robin Lopez off your books so you can give Tyreek Evans a big a big contract. And he got Robin Lopez for free. Did the same thing to get Mo Harkless this past year. Got Mo Harkless basically for free. Future second round pick. He's super protected. I mean, Neil O'Shea kind of does these sneaky moves that are just a tremendous deals, you know. The Alfaruku Minu deal. People thought it was a bad deal. It happened at midnight last year. It was the first contract signed. Best part of that deal, it's front loaded. So in the last two years of that deal, it was it was it was thirty million over four years, and in the last two years of that deal, Alfaruk million I mean, it was not, it's not seven and a half, seven and a half, seven and a half, seven and a half, and it's not the way most NBA contracts work, where it's you get paid less in your first two years and more in your last two years. It's the opposite. It's a decreasing contract. So Alfaruk Minu, when the cap is way up, way up over a hundred million dollars, Alfaruk Minu is going to be making like six point something million dollars as one of the better perimeter defenders you can find in the league. I mean, that's, that is some foresight, and that's some way to structure a deal. They structured Ed Davis's deal the same way. Ed Davis had a great year for them last year. I mean, the way that they find value just on the margins is amazing to me. I didn't love some of the signings they made, though. I mean, I wasn't a fan of the Evan Turner signing. I think Alan Crabb is a good player. No question, Alan Crabb is a good player. But I thought that was a lot of money for Alan Crabb matching on that offer sheet. Uh, I love the Azili signing. I thought that was great value. I, I thought two for 15 for Azili was really surprising in a market where backup centers were getting way more than that. I mean, I didn't think that Cole Aldridge had a great year as a backup last year, but I didn't think that Azili and Aldridge would essentially make the same amount per year and Aldridge would get an extra year out of it. I, I didn't think that would be the market for him. So I, I love that signing, but I could see the Thunder being better in Portland. Some of those signings, I don't think they made Portland that much better. I thought Portland played a little bit over its head this year, considering its defense. 
I think it's going to have defensive struggles again this year. I think Evan Turner might end up being in a role where he has to guard threes more consistently than people like. I don't think Portland is going to be great. They'll be a playoff contender. I think the Rockets will be a playoff contender. You know, I know people love the Timberwolves. I think it might be a year early on the Timberwolves. I think this year's Timberwolves might be last year's Jazz, who I touted a lot before last season, 140 games. Granted, it was because of those in- a lot of it was because of those injuries. But I think just in concept, I think we might be a year early on the Timberwolves. I think they could be really good in the following year. But I think the Thunder probably falls somewhere in that Blazers-Rockets category. So that would put them at like 6-8 to eight in the Western Conference. Somewhere in there. If the roster stays as is, if they stay healthy, I mean, that's a shot to get to the playoffs, right? For sure. I mean, that's somewhere in the six to eight. So I I think playoffs is more than realistic. Uh, And with this roster, I think you can argue it should be expected. Uh, Before we head out, just the quick programming note I mentioned earlier. So I've been doing every day or every weekday, I should say, Monday through Friday so far. That's going to continue to be the case in the season. Once the season starts, actually a little bit before the season starts, uh, sometime in maybe October or something like that, September. Haven't figured out an actual date yet. I'm going to go back to it. But things are dying down with the season. It's really just the damn waiter show now. So I'm recording for every weekday morning this week. I'll be on through Friday this week. After that, I'm switching it up a bit. Next week, I'm taking vacation starting this weekend for a little for a couple of days. So next week, there's only going to be one show. I'm only going to be on that Thursday morning of next week. After that, I'm going to two shows a week after that. So it's going to be Tuesday, Thursday after that. That's through the end of August and the beginning of September. I'm not sure when that'll start up again on five shows. I don't know if I'll start up maybe middle or end of September or if I'll wait until the preseason. I'll just go a little bit into, into October. Uh, I'm going to throw in some extra shows there probably. I don't think it'll just be Tuesday, Thursday, but those are going to be the scheduled shows. If there's breaking news or there's something newsworthy or something like that, uh, I'll end up doing, you know, one of those quick emergency shows with somebody else. If you're subscribed to the show, you'll be all good on getting those. Remember, you can head on to iTunes and you can subscribe there. You can find us on audioboom.com. If you have questions or comments, email lockedonthunder at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. Log on to normantranscript.com for all your Thunder needs and check out Thunder Road. That's my blog there to follow team coverage and what's next for the Thunder. That's going to do it for today. I'm back with you tomorrow morning. That's I guess Tuesday morning. Uh, I should have another few good guests coming on this week. I know I did the solo today, but there should be some more good ones. Until next time, though, Locked on Thunder is locking up.